0: It's good to see you on uh, Transfiguration Sunday, which we are not observing today, and I'm not going to talk about it, but it is is Transfiguration Sunday because um, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we begin the season of Lent uh, this week. So I hope to see you also on Wednesday when we gather for worship, both around 1215 and then 7 in the evening here in the sanctuary uh, for the imposition of ashes in the beginning of um, the Lenten season. <clears throat> uh, well, growing up, my um, the house I grew up in, my mom and dad's house, where they still live, um, was two-tenths of a mile from my grandparents' home, my paternal grandparents. Um, and uh, those were the grandparents and my dad, um, who owned the dairy farm and then the beef cattle farm later on. And um, about from the county line to four or five miles down that road uh, there was just us. I was um, the first one on the school bus in the morning and I was the last one off of the school bus in the evening. I was as far away from the school as you could be. Um, And two tenths of a mile from my grandparents. Uh, My aunt, my dad's sister, and um, her three sons lived with my grandparents. The oldest, Jeff, was um, artistic, a wonderful musician, he could play any instrument he picked up. Um, He was bright, handsome, um, and looking back, um, probably a little lost, a little um, uncomfortable in his own skin. The younger two were athletes, Uh, really outstanding athletes. They both played college football at UNC Chapel Hill and the middle one ended up playing in the NFL for a number of years. Um, I did not get my size from that side of the family. So (laughs) as you can tell um, they're all enormous. I am not. Um, But growing up they were more like brothers than they were cousins. We spent every day together practically the rode to school together, ate together, played together, worked together. Um, it was a great way to grow up. At, at around 19, my, the oldest cousin, Jeff, um, died of an accidental overdose. And um, what I think happened is one of those stories families don't talk about a lot. Probably all have those stories. Um, I was 11 years old and um, what I think happened is my granddad um, at that time was going through cancer treatment and I think Jeff decided, um, you know, at 19 your, your uh, front of your brain is not fully formed and he decided he would try some of my granddad's pain medication. And he was allergic to it. and That stopped his heart. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Two weeks later, my granddad lost his battle with cancer, and I just remember distinctly that they were there, and then in the night, they weren't. Just like that. And then I began, you know, at 11, what else is an 11-year-old going to do, but to think, hmm, might there come a night when I'm there, and then I'm not? And so I struggled, you know, with the the fear and the anxiety and the worry around that. My parents did all they could to help Uh, an eleven-year-old grieve the loss of two people that he loved. But fear is powerful. And uh, as Ben Johnson notes, there's no greater hell than to be a prisoner of fear. And so many people live in that prison. This morning we begin our five-week journey through Adam Hamilton's book, Unafraid. Um, living with courage and hope in uncertain times. And in this week's section of the book, the first section, the first four chapters, Hamilton points out that we can hardly overstate the extent to which worry and anxiety and fear permeate our lives. We worry about the future, we're anxious about politics, finances, jobs, about our health, we fear violent crime, Racial and ethnic differences, we, we fear the future of the economy. Deep rifts in our nation leave us with increasing uncertainty and unease. Uh, fear in the financial markets, we know, can wipe out billions of dollars of wealth in a matter of a day. For some, fears and anxiety, fears around safety um, leave them afraid of people not like them, fear of the other. Fears in the form of insecurity often wreak havoc on our personal lives, our relationships. And then there are the kind of universal worries that are across you know, cultures and times and spaces concerns for children, for those we love, anxiety around death, dying, and so much more. Most pastors will tell you that they have um, some recurring preacher fears preacher dreams. Um, you show up to a meeting on the wrong day. I've had that one numerous times. Um, you're late for worship. Uh, that's the worst one. Or even worse, you're late for worship. You can't find your sermon or your album stole, and you show up in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> that's never going to happen. And yet, it recurs as a dream in, in my head. You know, underlying that is the fear you're going you're gonna to Disappoint folks, you're not going to measure up, you're going to, you know, leave, leave people um, wondering what in the world you're doing, disappointed. Um, it's irrational, and yet it's still there. The reality is all of us worry about, or anxious about, fearful about some things at some time. We all have things we fear. And many of us may have seasons when anxiety and fear are overwhelming, when they get the best of us. Because fear is a powerful emotion that that shapes all of us in profound ways. And sometimes in ways we don't even fully understand. Hamilton goes on to say that if we for instance look behind depression's door, you often find fear. Uh, If addictions or the undercurrent of addictions often is a fear. Fear beneath broken marriages and broken relationships and friendships Often you'll find fear. And if you look behind the causes of, of the conflicts and wars that we've gotten ourselves into throughout human history, behind many of them is, is fear. And sometimes fears manufactured by leaders who, who led their people to wage war. We all know, sadly, that 2024 will be a year in which each political party and every political pundit will be telling us ad nauseam why we should be afraid of those other people and therefore why we should vote for certain other people. And, and while we often fear things that never will happen, like showing up in a shorts and a t-shirt for a sermon, there are some things that rightly induce fear illness, the death of a loved one, job insecurity. Um, many of us have known times when fear and worry and anxiety ha- have robbed us of the life we've wanted. For some, it's led to bad decisions. For others, it's been like a paralysis that's kept us from taking a risk that might have led to more abundant and meaningful life. And and this sermon, this series, is not about eradic- eradicating fear. We, we will never do that. Um, and some fear has a healthy purpose. I mean, right? We our bodies are beautifully designed to respond to things without the rational mind having to kick in that might kill us. <laughs> so fear can save our lives. That's a good thing. That's a gift God has given us. Um, so not all fear is negative. But we do, as Hamilton notes, we do at times misread signals we worry about threats that aren't real, and we find ourselves overwhelmed by false fears um, in an unhealthy kind of way. Um, And that kind of fear um, is is a powerful force that undermines our health, it undermines relationships, it undermines the the, um, giftedness of churches and communities and nations, and yet our faith says We can unlearn fear and move toward faith and trust and love. That fear does not have to control us. More than 140 times in the Bible, God must be trying to teach us something. 140 times. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This morning's reading from the prophet Isaiah was to the... Children of Israel, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Do not be afraid. And why? Because Isaiah knew God was with them and for them which is, of course, the message of the Incarnation, of God taking on our flesh and moving into our lives. Christ is the physical manifestation of the message, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am for you. In Christ, God has lived our lives, has known our hopes and our joys, our fears, our sorrows, has overcome it all in order that we might then be free from fear and live life abundantly. Not avoid all fear. Life won't always be bright sunny days. But even when the clouds of fear and worry and anxiety creep in, God says there is still light. There is still love there is still my presence with and for you. Do not be afraid. Which is why we can, over time, with prayer, with listening to God, with counseling, with, with, uh, with um, medical care, health care, with, with uh, spiritual direction, with the support of faithful friends, we can, over time, unlearn fear and learn love. And we're told in Scripture that perfect love casts out fear. Love can replace our fear. There is no magic pill to to just make it disappear. I wish there was. Um, But we do have the promise of the slow and patient work of the Holy Spirit, like water flowing over a rock, smoothing out the rough edges. That slow and patient work of the Spirit in our lives, to fill us with God's love and slowly push away the fear. I am no longer that 11-year-old boy who wondered, is there going to be a night when I am next? I understand the reality of death far more now than I did back then because I have been with countless people at the, at the time of their death, with families in the midst of their grief, And in those moments, I have experienced over and over and over again, without fail, the comforting presence and strength of God who says, do not be afraid. I've experienced Easter in those moments. Resurrection, God's desire to make things new. Um, that, That there will be a day when everything sad will become untrue which means most days now my love for God um, casts out fear most days you hear that right most days not all most but I didn't get there overnight I was 11 I have a birthday in two weeks and I'll be 55 44 years and I still got a ways to go it's been a long journey of unlearning fear and leaning into life. But with God's help, we can get there. We can make that journey. Um, We can release our cares to God and trust that God is with us and for us, and that there's nothing truly, in the end, to fear. And that's true for individuals, and it's true for churches. Churches. I was thinking um, this week about this sermon. You could have gone on a couple of different ways because most everything we say about this is true for us as, as individual Christians. It's also true for us as communities, as nations, as, as congregations. So I want to offer just a brief final word for us as the church. As we begin this series, Adam Hamilton points to a story towards the end of the chapter where, uh, that I referenced a few weeks ago, where, where um, Israel has made their journey from Egypt, out of slavery, and to the promised land. And as they're about to enter the promised land, that land flowing of, with milk and honey that God said is out there for you, they decide, well, before we enter the land, let's send some spies into the land and check it out. We'll see if it's all that God said it would be. And so they send 12 spies. Um, Two of the spies come back and say, it's everything we ever imagined. It's amazing. We should go. Ten spies come back. I think this this is just so much like the church. Ten come back. We got two who are on board. Ten come back. We should not do this. This is a bad idea we've seen over there and there are giants living in that land and beside them we seem like grasshoppers. We should, we should not go. It's a matter of fact, some of them even said, not only should we not go, we should go back to Egypt. Turn around and go back to slavery. They were, they were afraid. Uh, paralyzed even to, to to lean into the life God had promised and was right in front of their eyes. Fear was causing them to look back, to long for a past and was robbing them of the life that, that, that and the future with hope. And I get it, maybe we've, we've all been there at some point in time. Um, it happens to individuals, it happens to families, it happened to Israel, it happens to churches. Um, We all know the church has experienced, D-U-M-C included, the church with a capital C, has experienced tremendous change over the past few years. Uh, We find ourselves in an even more marginalized position in the society and culture around us. Um, No one knows it's Transfiguration Sunday today. What's today? Super Bowl Sunday, right? We know that. Um, So many more have Check the box that they have no religious affiliation. On average, we're trying to do more with less. Um, That's a lot of loss and grief. It's real. We acknowledge it. And yet, and yet, we are still called to be God's people. We are still called to be the body of Christ in our community, to be a place where people can come and belong and connect and grow and then leave and make an impact, a life-changing impact in the world around us. The mission of God to heal and save the world has not changed. It's not disappeared or gone away. We do this in uncertain times, right? Having to do it in new ways. um, So we can see that there's a future. The promise may be right in front of us. And we know we should go. And also, it's frightening, it's unfamiliar. It doesn't look like church of the past. It's not Egypt. And if we live from a place of fear, it's tempting to say, well, let's just settle in here for a while or let's try to get back to the church when it was whatever it was, which we know is really not true because it never was what we imagined it to be. We romanticize our past. Uh, We can't go back. Egypt is not an option in our own lives and in the life of the church. Um, Diane reminded us this week, I, I can't go back to some mythical point in the past when Jeff and my granddad are still alive, as wonderful as that would be. That's not an option. Even so, God is with us and for us always calling us to God's preferred future, always making things new. So I'll just leave you with a word from Paul that I've returned to over and over again throughout the years. A bit of a mantra to to a fearful people and to an anxious church. Paul wrote this. Um, I'm absolutely convinced, he says, that nothing, nothing living or dead, nothing demonic or angelic, Not today nor tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, and paraphrasing or editing a bit. Not pandemics, not general conferences, not toxic politics and ridiculous elections. Absolutely nothing, Paul says. No thing can get between us and God's love for us because of the way Jesus has embraced us. God is with us and for us, Paul says. And because of that, do not be afraid. Amen.